Um, she's just so stuck in a routine. You take her any way out of it and she's anxious and high as a kite. And so she's not even, she's like, I'm, I'm not yet there tracking any real impact yet, but she's committed to it. Like she wants to continue. So yeah, it's good. We really appreciate the donation. Well, I was, I'm sending a videographer to Felicitas to just, um, film how she uses her foot. And I oh, was good. wondering if I could send them him over to you because you're so close to her and just get like a little testimony about how you've implemented sure. the program. I can. Yeah, I can bounce that to the team. Great. Okay. I haven't set up the date yet with him. I'm waiting for him to send me a proposal, but he's the guy, his name is Ken and he's filmed all my online courses. So I know him really well, wow. filmed some stuff with Surefoot and I, you know, I'm hoping that I can go with him depending on when we do this. Um, okay. I, you know, I know that I can send him out on a job and he'll do a really good job. Awesome. So, um, okay. That would be great. Cause I've just, um, you know, it's, I'm working on some marketing and as you know, marketing always takes, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, enough said. Yeah, okay. I'm watching my cat. He's just climbed into the box of magazines that we recycle and I'm waiting to see whether he's going to decide to become <laughs> part of the show. <laughs> let me go let him out. Okay. Cause I think okay, that's sure. where we're going. They know I'm on a webinar. It's time to claw the cardboard and cry and, you know, <laughs> rub on your legs. And <laughs> just Oh, well, How's the one with the property next door. Have you gotten that finished yet? Or are you still in process? So they, the firehouse is making good progress on their new space. So all of the powers that be have all come together and agreed that September at late to end September is closing. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. So we're, we've not heard anything to the contrary to that timeline. And we recently received a grant. Maybe I shared, did I share it with you? The I think you were, I don't know if you'd gotten it or if you were still waiting on it. Um, yeah, so yeah, half a million dollars that goes directly into the conversion of that facility into the, the visitor center and, you know, community outreach. So we'll start construction on that, you know, there, I mean, there, we've already had the architect in to give us all of the, plans for converting it into our administrative offices. And then Nikki, our community outreach director is meeting with some very in inspirational, creative minds for um, developing the visitor center and the, the hands-on tactical type experience. So I think that's gonna come together faster than um, we can anticipate now that we've received that grant, so. And that is so fantastic. It really is. So everything is actually plugging along. We're doing our first uh, equine cruelty investigators series. We host four or five of those. This is where we train the animal control and humane agency officers on equine related um, cruelty and neglect, but we also bring in related um, speakers um, as it relates to animal welfare. It's not just equine. Right. We haven't had an ECI for a year and a half due to COVID. So tomorrow is our first class back with some officers getting hands on with horses. So that's what I mean by it. Yeah, we feel like, you know, it's great to be doing more of what we're here for 
and the the officers are just chomping at the bit no pun intended to get back in so <laughs> but that's great and you know sometimes yeah. like for me this has been a year of just kind of being able to catch up on stuff okay like, right so i mean because i was running a full schedule of tra travel and so it's been really great for me to just kind of like catch up and not feel that like I, today I had a horse that was, she's been colicky since last night, not real bad, but so I was able to pop her in the trailer and take her for a ride and she did two poops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas normally it's like, I, I'm gone. I'm somewhere. I can't, you know, so it's just, you know. So do you think, do you think you'll change that COVID and this experience will change the way you book yourself out and what choices you make in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I can't keep the kind of schedule that I've done before. I just, it's a killer. And, you know, after, yeah. after a while, you're not really enjoying what you're doing. You're just going through the motions. And so, um, you know, I want to enjoy the teaching, not just be standing there because I can. Right. Right. So, and Surefoot's doing really well. And that's the thing is I'm at the point now where I want to start marketing into more mainstream. Gotcha. Um, and so keep that building and so to do that i need some really nice professional marketing materials and that's what i'm yeah. that's goal this june is to get that in the can and then start working on that so that okay. i i can choose when i go as opposed to i've got to go you know no i get it and i saw your post that you have storage that you now have a warehouse or you have the <laughs> you have inventory stocking up <laughs> yeah i can i can stock and i mean like i'm in my basement we've been living the running the office out of the basement since we started this and um you know it's i have this little tiny spot that i have to crawl between boxes to get to do this and so you know like i need a i need a bookkeeper and a shipper so i can do the writing and um oh I yeah where to put them <laughs> so all me, the all the little steps of success yes yes and i'm looking congratulations yeah you know, if you know anybody that's uh, obviously not up there, but maybe down here just through the grapevine, I am looking for a person to come in and, you know, work for me because I need help. I can't do it all. Wow. Um, so it, it would be a very varied job, but, you know, shipping, receiving, talk, um, talking to customers, whatever we need. So it's kind of a... Oh, are you close to Middleburg or are you... I'm an hour. I'm an hour from Middleburg. Right. So right. it's a reasonable, it's not an unreasonable distance. Okay. Cool. All right. We got to start. We got to start this. We got to quit okay. talking. <laughs> All righty. And I, I'll just check and see how many people signed up. I can't remember. Um, you know, it, it's obvious that people are getting back to their normal life because the, the webinars don't have as many people sure. live, but sure. we still have just a, a huge following um, on the recorded stuff. So um, it's great. It's true though. People are, I mean, they are back to work. Life is and it and it's great. I'm glad. Um, so there's hi guys. Just let us know where you're from if it sounds okay. It it is fascinating to see how fast things are going in the recovery. Right? They're saying the economy last weekend yeah. air travel was the same as a year ago in 2019. I mean, um, so people are ready to go. <laughs> well, the home sale boom too. I was oh. talk about an impact and people. You know how COVID's impact your career and the choices you're going to make for yourself in the future is similar to families are now being able to stay remote and can move out of the cities and bring, you know, 
yeah. you know, uh, upgrade their living situation. And, and that has caused this housing market boom. Yes, um, um, that's being felt everywhere. And, um, and supply chain issues are being yes. everywhere, so. Yes. Um, yeah. But anyway, all right. So I'm gonna do an intro and then we'll go ahead and get going. Um, you ready? Yes. Have your drink of water. <laughs> I'll let Brad finish taping that box because he's just, he's trying to get an order out of here. I can hear him. <laughs> That's why I say, well, you know, it's like everything's in this space. <laughs> and who is it? Brad, my husband. Brad, okay. Yep. So he's Bad the Brad. R&D. He's in charge of R&D and oh, uh, running everything when I'm gone. And uh, um, he's the in charge of setting up the warehouse now. Um, All right. So he is your unpaid staff. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Done with the tape done, Brad? Yeah. Great. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars for over a year now, and it's just so exciting to be able to bring this information to you at, the, at your own convenience, where you can watch it on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel and um, just be able to take advantage of all the incredible guests that I've had. It's been really an amazing journey so far to have some of the, the incredible people that have joined me and the knowledge that they've shared. And the feedback that I'm getting from you, the audience, is really amazing. And I so appreciate hearing from you and knowing that you appreciate the webinars. It's always great if you want to leave a comment after you've watched them. You can just type, you know, whether you liked it or not. And if you have anybody that you want me to have as a guest, just send me an email at wendy at wendymurdoch.com. Um, we are tracking a bunch of people. Sometimes it takes me a little while to wrangle them, but I do throw my lasso out and try to bring them in. Today, my guest is Diet Hillman, and she's from Days End Farm. And she's here today to talk, us, uh, talk to us about some of the things we might not know about horse rescue that it's just really important to have an understanding of what's going on in that world. So thank you, Diet, so much for joining me today. You're welcome. I'm glad to be back, Wendy. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So please give everybody a little bit of your background, um, what you do at Days End Farm. I know that we did a webinar where we talked about that, but just in case someone hasn't seen that webinar. Sure, absolutely. Uh, the I'm the Equine Programs Director for Days End Farm Horse Rescue. Um, specifically, we're located in Central Maryland. We are in our 20 or 32nd year of operations, um, working to assist animal control and humane agencies throughout Maryland bordering states and national organizations with the seizure impoundment, rehabilitation, and criminal support with um, equine related abuse and neglect cases. So, we're rehabilitation, retraining, and adoption, volunteer, uh, community outreach, education. So, um, we were committed and passionate about helping the horse um, and those who are responsible and um, mandated to intervene on their behalf when, they're, when they find themselves in a hard, tough situation. Right. And so since our last webinar, I came out to Days on Farm and met you. You have, yes. It was so much fun. <laughs> um, and I met your staff, who was delightful, and just saw... The scope of your facility, which if one has not been there, it's hard to believe exactly how involved in this whole area of equine rescue is and what they're doing at day's end and the amazing stories they have for all the horses that have been adopted. And um, yeah. just 
it's just really, it was amazing to go there and see what you're doing and what your plans are and how you're expanding and how you're affecting internet. Well, I'm probably internationally, but certainly yes. nationally yes. Um, to really uh, be for the horse's welfare and how um, important it is that there is an interface with the professionals, the police, the, uh, yes. the, the people that are the, usually the first responders to that neglect case and yes. educating them so that they know what to do because it's a complicated deal. It really is. And it's awareness. It starts with awareness and then it starts with building in the steps of how you can make an impact, how you can help. Um, and it's, all, it's education, it's a, um, training and um, equipping those who are find themselves in that field and that profession. Um, you know, dogs and cats are their family to us. They live in our houses, sleep in our beds. I mean, um, run around in your boxes. <laughs> under your yeah, All the time, they're in my boxes. <laughs> so they're a little more mainstream to us. They're our learning and understanding what their needs are um, and how to take care of them as they need us to are a little more ingrained in us. Yeah, there's formal learning and teaching available, but there's, there's, you have this animal, this, this equi, equi that is of its own species and has its own unique needs. And the law is there written for them on their behalf, but comprehending and understanding and interpreting the law based on the horse's needs and requirements um, is oftentimes a gap for the animal welfare professionals. And Day's End was founded 32 years ago with the mission and purpose to assist those professionals. Um, and it's been a private goal of ours to work ourselves out of a job, yeah. you know, yeah. through education and outreach and training. And can we reduce the cases and the needs for horses to come into rescue? Um, and my tenure with Days End goes back to 2003 as a volunteer, um, working with the horses and other volunteers and then staff. I became staff a few years later. Um, and my experience with Days End has not really seen a decline in the equine related needs. Um, there's been some changes and shifts in maybe the whys behind the horses um, finding themselves in a situation where intervention is needed um, or and the numbers um, of horses that need to come in at one time versus what where it was 20, 30 years ago. So there's been some trend change, but the need has not gone away for education and, and training and learning. And so what I have prepared for you today is um, a class that I actually teach pretty frequently here at the farm. Um, I teach it to, um, you know, our volunteers, uh, on board members, uh, public uh, visitors to the farm. It helps, it goes right to the core of our mission and it kind of ha uh, helps people understand where DEFR fits and Days End Farm Horse Rescue is DEFR, so I'll refer to us as DEFR. Um, where we fit in that legal due process um, and how our resources are used, not only to save the life of the horse, but also for, 
further equip um, the professionals in the work that they're doing. So it's a nice opportunity to be able to share it on this platform, Wendy. This is probably the broadest platform I've had to teach this topic. So I thank you for the opportunity. You know, I, I, there's um, a wonderful book that was written by a professor at University of Virginia, and it's called Cradle to Cradle. Hmm. And the whole concept behind it is that you think about what is going to have happen to the product at the end of its life when you make mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, because you think about all the products that we get that have plastic wrap or they're, you know, plastic doesn't recycle, it downcycles. And we don't think about where that's going to wind up. In a way, what we're looking at here is if you're going to take on the responsibility of, whore, of a horse, it's important to think about cradle to cradle from the time you get it to the time that horse is no, no longer with you in whatever means, but certainly at the end of its life, or if mm -hmm. you get in trouble financially mm -hmm. or otherwise, what's going to happen to that horse? And, you know, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they become a horse owner, they're just all excited about getting a horse, but not everybody understands the responsibility, the cost, the time. And then they wind up in a situation that they've never intended to be in. Yes. But the circumstances have brought them there because there wasn't that consideration of what does it mean to own a horse? Yes, absolutely. Um, and it, it, there is an, an equine industry that is a big component to this conversation about equine welfare. Um, my horse is my best friend. Um, I don't view him as an object that is bringing me a monetary value. I don't compete. I don't, I'm not out there earning points. Um, I'm not pinning. Um, he's here because um, I, I'm not complete without him. <laughs> and we enjoy trail rides and you got a chance to meet him. I mean, yeah, he's cool. lovely animal. Yeah. Um, but there is an industry that, you know, this animal is, brings about a monetary value to people. Um, livelihoods are made and you know, in, in conjunction with love and care and respect for them. So it, it gets dicey and it can get challenging when you're looking at law yeah. um, and what it, what it requires of an owner of an equine, which by law is classified as a livestock, not mm -hmm. a companion animal. It's not in the same category as your dogs and your cats are. This is a livestock animal that has different standards of care. Um, and, but the horse industry also is very, is filled with very knowledgeable and experienced horse people uh, and horse owners and equine um, equestrians are, we're well known for being, you know, educated, knowledgeable, opinionated and, <laughs> uh, dare I say judgmental. And I mean, I've been in a, I've been a horse owner since the age of 12. So I can, I'm in the crowd. I'm right in there with everybody else. So if I'm calling a horse owner out, I'm calling myself out at the same time. Um, but it's oftentimes can be challenging to even have a conversation over the needs of a horse from a legal standpoint with an owner who might have their own opinions and judgments and an evaluation of what this horse needs. Um, so equipping these officers to have a educated, knowledgeable conversation is a very big part of what we do. Right. And, and just, just to rem, uh, remind people that you told me in our last webinar 
that you worked for the Humane Society and had the responsibility of um, supervising a whole bunch of people that had to go out and do have I got it right? Yes. Do, do equine rescue. So you know it from not just the side of being the receiver, but also Correct. the side of being the one who had to. Correct. Um, I was a licensed humane and guest investigator for equine for the state of Illinois. I am a certified equine investigator through the Colorado State University. Um, and then as the shelter manager for the Humane Society of Central Illinois, I was managing a team of humane investigators that were both for small and livestock animals. Um, so correct, I, I have a background in that, but to be fair, I wanna make sure that your audiences understand I am not an attorney. Uh, I don't hold a legal degree um, and I have, you know, a lifetime of experience in equine and a, some professional experience that have brought me to the position where I am now. So I can speak from what I know, what I've been trained, what I've learned, what I've experienced. Um, but based on questions and feedback, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to defer to those who, you know, who are the true professionals um, in this industry. Um, and every law and every process is different for, from you know, where we're located here in Maryland to where you are in Virginia, Pennsylvania. Each state has its own um, legal basis for things. And it's, I always encourage the audience when I speak about this to really investigate on your own what your state and local laws are as it pertains to equine welfare. Um, because if there is a concern that you have or see or observe um, or problem, um, being equipped and ready to respond um, is, is the first step for help getting to those horses. So I'm ready to jump okay. into the- Let's do it. Are you good? All right, I didn't, there's any questions. If anybody has any questions, just put it in the chat of the Q&A and then where I see it's appropriate, I'll ask yet. Um, and yeah. So I am going to call myself out as a noob when it comes to uh, sharing screens. Look so. at that, you did it perfectly. <laughs> Can't say that anymore. Yeah, I, I have to give creds to my my coworkers who um, unfortunately have to suffer with my uh, trial and errors on this. And I was actually practicing before before we got on today, Wendy. Yeah. I was hoping to get it right. Yep. Um, start start your show from the beginning, and we'll it'll zoom. Uh, um, we're seeing presenters. We should see. We should only see one slide at a time. So we're and looking see, at- Now, what does that mean? Um, Display settings? Let's see, swap presenter. Yeah, let's try that. There you go. Wow. All right. <laughs> I am impressed. Yay. All right, I'm learning skill sets here. Okay, very well, good. So <laughs> as I've said, this is, a, this is a presentation I have given to- um, May. I did do some tweaking. Um, I am open. If I'm mostly experienced with having a live audience and, and being able to read the impact and hear and engage with them. So Wendy, please interrupt if someone's got a question. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's meant to be conversational. Um, I'll just flow through. There might be some information I just kind of go through quickly, but Ultimately, what we're hope what I'm hoping to accomplish today is 
to give your listeners an overview of what the legal process is for um, Day's End and the state of Maryland as it relates to equine neglect and cruelty concerns, seizures, rehabilitation, and criminal support. It, it goes into a little more detail even about what we do as an organization to support those agencies and then kind of peppered in the presentation are some um, case studies and, um, and information and outcome. So um, we're just hoping to be able to accomplish that today. Okay. All right, so it, it really does begin with um, a phone call, a conversation. Um, most people, you know, in the end, when you see the news, splashed across evening news that there was, you know, a large horse neglect case out of um, Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's on, it's in newspapers, it's online. Um, I always go back, I am always interested to learn about how it started, who made that call, who contacted the local agencies. It could be family members, it could be neighbors, uh, it could be a utility worker. It could be anybody in the community who's making an observation or having an observation that something just isn't quite right. It's that gut feeling like I, I don't like what I'm seeing or I'm afraid of what I'm seeing or just I'm, I'm, I need to make a call. Um, and so oftentimes for us, that phone call comes here. Um, people will call us first and say, you know, I've been driving by this farm for two years and the last six months or so, I've not noticed food. I've not noticed the water being filled. The horses seem to be losing weight or condition. You know, what do I do? And um, having that conversation and being willing to direct them to, to where, where they need to go. And oftentimes the conditions and what they're observing can be related to their, the horse's environment it could be the condition of the horse themselves. Maybe they're seeing um, a horse being physically harmed, um, or it can just be passive of time where things are just degrading and, and changing a little bit. Um, exigent or emergent situations oftentimes um, happen with horses being down in fields or real thin, um, you know, rack of bones, skeleton type of thing that people get concerned about. Um, so that's where it starts. And then, you know, examples of that, again, could be this type of observation. These are real pictures from real cases um, where observations were made. Um, this was a water source that the passerby was, was witnessing as the only water source to a herd of horses. You know, the, the little one, yeah, we've got some big round bales, but her condition's really poor. You, you see food source, but you see a very poor condition um, animal. And so that's reason for concern. And then, you know, the other picture speaks for itself with, with the condition of that horse's hooves. You showed me those hooves. That, yes. And that I took pictures because I had never seen anything like it ever. You held them. Yeah. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, that, ta that tactile learning is amazing. You'll never forget it. No, no. Just yeah. like, wow. So who's the call? Um, every, every county, every community has an agency 
that's mandated by law to uphold the animal welfare laws of that area. And um, it can be an animal control facility, uh, a muni municipal facility that's funded and, and supported by the local government. Um, it could be a humane society that is a 501c3 nonprofit independent organization, but then has a contract with the county for upholding the law and enforcing the law. Um, sheriff's office, uh, department, law enforcement. Um, state of Pennsylvania has um, an animal welfare arm of their state police. So if there's a animal concern in the state of Pennsylvania, you will call the state troopers um, to come in and assist. Um, information you're providing is hopefully the address and location of where it is and you're observing the concern. If there's been amount of time that you have observed it, provide that timeline, give as much information about what you see, what your concerns are, animals condition, description of the property, um, location of the property. And if you have owner information or responsible party information, that information can all be used to aid the officers in making that first connect. Um, in the state of Maryland, you are not required to leave your name or identification when you are calling in a concern. It can be anonymous. When I was an, when I was an uh, investigator for the state of Illinois, you were required to leave your name and contact. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. And I can tell you that that was a concern and turned a lot of people away from leaving that, that information behind. Yeah. Has it changed now that everybody has smartphones from what it used to be like. I mean, cause we can all snap a picture now or take a little video. Whereas before Absolutely. the report, you know, it was just a phone call of I've seen something. Absolutely. Good point. I, I mean, even five years ago, Wendy, I would take a phone call from a concerned person. Um, and I was take, I was writing down descriptions of what they were saying. And today that same call can come in and they'll be like, Hey, I just took a video or I just took a picture can I text it to you and I'll show it to you right now? Um, so absolutely, it's real time. Uh, right, and yeah, I mean, it's you need to go and investigate every call, but sometimes you can look at a picture and go, this is a horse sleeping versus a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, although I will never, I will, I will not tell people to not call, even right. if it's a sleeping horse. Even if it's, even if it turns out, you know, the old guy is enjoying the nice sunny afternoon, make the call. If your gut is telling you something's off and something's not right, there's no harm in that. Um, and ultimately, understanding due process, um, you know, the, the first thing that these officers need to uphold is are the civil rights of the owner of the property. This is, you know, that's the higher law at play here. They need to follow um, the law first and foremost, which includes the rights of the owner. Um, the rights that the amendment, our fourth amendment puts in about protection and privacy and not having um, your property invaded without legal due process. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, if I report that, I don't want to, I don't want to get them in trouble, but I want the, you know, like there's that um, feeling of, or maybe I shouldn't yeah. call, maybe it's not that bad, but. What, or I'm going to get in trouble. They'll, yes. they'll know it's me. 
you know, but, if I make the, I just came from, I just met this person to buy some hay and um, he has some skinny horses in the back of his barn that I saw. I just left there. It was really upsetting. But if, if I call animal control and they go out, he's going to know it was me because I was just there. Right. <laughs> you know, and, he's got my name. And the other thing is that, you know, you might have the person that says, I don't want to waste the officer's time. They have more important things to do. This really probably wasn't that bad, you know, mm. because if you make a call, somebody has to go. Correct. Right? And they do. Yes. Um, I can confidently say in the state of Maryland, um, that phone call is enough to start the process of an officer knocking on a door to have a conversation with an owner. It's not about busting into barns, opening doors, or even going through a fence gate. It is about driving onto someone's property, knocking on the door and having a conversation. Okay. Um, and so it, it can feel scary. It can be, it can have a feeling of vulnerability uh, or guilt to be the one making the call. But ultimately, if there's nothing wrong and what's found is, is sufficient and okay, then there is no harm done. I've actually spoken to owners who have had animal control knock on their door for a concern and their four, 35, 40 year old horse who has no teeth declining in condition under veterinary care being fed eight times a day <laughs> and say, they're okay with people calling. Of course, you know, the passerby doesn't understand the circumstances, but I would much rather them call, call out a concern than, than not. Right. So I've spoken to people and, and this is the other fact that, that can sometimes come a part of that conversation is if there is that 35 to 40 year old horse declining in condition under veterinary care and the agency's been out multiple times, they know the relationship, they already have the history, they might be able to have that, share that understanding with the caller. Um, right. That can happen right. too. Yep, thank you for reporting it. We're, we're taking notes. I'll let you know that our officers were there two weeks ago. The horse is under veterinary care and, you know, but thank you for calling. So. It, it can truly turn out to be that, or it could turn out to be something that needs yeah. plans and, and something put in place to help the horses. So that's really, when the agents are arriving, they're really looking for the violations as it, as it pertains to the animal welfare laws of your community. Um, what the law says about what an animal is and what cruelty is and what um, what's a neglect, misdemeanor, what's a felony aggravated is all spelled out for them. And ultimately they're looking at the law and what the law is guiding them to assess and evaluate. To further aid um, officers and agencies, Maryland Horse Council put together a minimum standards of care guideline document oh, wow. 20 some years ago. Um, and to their credit, they took what the Maryland law interpreted. And when I say Maryland law, and I made notes to it, it has to do with the article 27, section 59 about what the law says the horse needs, which are nutritious food in sufficient quantity, proper drink, air, shelter, necessary veterinary care and space. That's what the law says. But as it pertains to the species, what does nutritious food in sufficient quantity mean? 
So they further defined that for owners, number one. Number two, um, officers and agents, uh, state's attorney's offices, and even judges. Um, this is a document that can go right into trial to help them interpret what evidence was gathered as it pertains to the definition of the law and the minimum standards. And so this is a very valuable tool um, to carry on as education and guide. And ultimately, this is what the officers are looking for violations of. Their first and primary objective is really to fix whatever problems or issues there are in there at the property with the owner. Um, it's not it's not about seizing property. It's not about removing people's horses. It's about what changes can be made, what actions need to be taken to help this animal. Um, so that's their first and primary goal. And if, if we as citizens appreciate that and know that, then we might be a little more comfortable in making that phone call. Um, so if they show up at the scene and they see clear evidence signs of, you know, minimum standards of care not being provided or, you know, very clear issues or problems, um, that's when the documentation starts. And the due process requires them to be, to follow the letter of the law and, and what they're interpreting and how they're documenting. Um, and uh, sometimes and oftentimes, this is when I'll get a phone call from an agent who's on scene needing help interpreting what he is witnessing. Um, and uh, we have had, you said it, social media or you know smartphones, send me a picture, I can help give you a general idea of what that body condition score range is, or yes, those feet are in need of a trim, or you know, that, you know, that food source doesn't look to be of great quality, but there are some recommendations or consult consultation. Um, if things become apparent to the officer that the care and the standards are very low or there's some concerns, they need to get the veterinarian involved at this point. The officers are not experts in equine care and management. The veterinarian is. And having a vet on scene to evaluate and assess the horse's condition as well as make recommendations for what is called compliance orders, um, you know, have the horse's um, fecal performed and deworm the horse, have a dental performed, um, vaccinate the horse, increase the feed or change the feed type, provide free choice hay, um, you know, scrub that water bucket and have potable water available to this horse 24 seven. Those are the types of details that can come into a compliance order left with the owner um, that then requires follow-up by the officer um, and the owner to take action to make corrections to. But it's ultimately that veterinarian that is providing the guidance to the owner for the well-being of that horse. So if we were to take the pony with the curled hooves as an example, yes. um, someone saw that this horse had not had its feet mm -hmm. trimmed in, I don't even know how long it takes for them to grow like that. Um, so they then made a phone call to the animal control 
Um, animal control then sent an officer out to evaluate the situation. Yeah. They looked at the condition in which he was living and they looked at the condition of his feet and determined that they needed a veterinarian to come in and make a determination. Is Absolutely. That, okay, great. You, yep. Very so, succinct. I, I mean, I think the point here is that, you, you know, um, how do I say this? As a horse owner, I, I, am, I am completely unaware of these kinds of steps because I've never been in this situation, nor have I uh, experienced situations where uh, there's been that kind of neglect. And so um, I think that while we hope we never have to deal with that, it's really important to know the steps in case we do. Absolutely. And ultimately, the duties and responsibilities of the agencies that are out that, that are making that call that you're calling um, I have the privilege of working closely with these officers and they are some of the most caring, kind-hearted, animal-loving people that you can meet. Um, you know, talk about a tough job um, and having very briefly been in that industry myself, you know, their motivations and reasons for going out on that call is because they care and love the animals as well and they want what's best for them. So it really is a, I mean, it's a legal process, but it is, it's executed by some very passionate, caring, kind people. Um, so if they find themselves in a situation where the, either that the owner's non-compliant, um, they're not following the directions provided in the timeline in which they're being provided, then that, then that's uh, grounds for that officer to request a, a seizure warrant and remove the animals at that point and, and, and get them off the property and into protective care and custody. Um, that can also happen in exigent circumstances where if that officer feels as if this horse's very life or well-being is at stake, if they would leave that property, that they that there was a chance that, that animal could die or its condition decline to a you know, exigent circumstance, then they can, they can um, go for an exigent circumstance type of a warrant to enable them to be able to seize those horses immediately. What and does exigent, ex I can't say it, exigent mean? Just think of it as high danger. You know, exigent yeah. means this horse, this, is, this horse's very life is at stake. Okay. Um, it's at risk of dying within hours um, or it, it, what, and I hope I'm being correct if I had my friends in my pocket, but for them to leave the property is for them to close out that investigation and they would need reason and cause to go back. Um, and so there are officers who have uh, seized horses because they were afraid for them to leave the property that those horses could possibly die between that then and the next time that they could possibly get on the property. Got it. So it is a real life and death situation, this exigent circumstance, whether that's a horse starving to death or it's caught up in a high tensile wire and it's bleeding out of an artery and it needs immediate veterinary care and needs to be removed. You know, those to me are that life threatening circumstance. Um, so that can certainly happen. Here's an example um, of a case for a local county. It wasn't that long ago for Defer. Um, a local utility uh, office uh, worker was at a farm and filling up their propane tank. He said that typically the barn doors were closed. The, the 
propane tank was behind a barn and typically the doors were closed. Been there going there for years. And this day the barn door was open and he took a peek inside and this is what he saw. Wow. He had no idea that this was the circumstances that these horses were in all these years. He didn't even know there were horses in this barn. Wow. Prompted him to call um, the local humane officer uh, agency. Um, and again, based on that concern, they were out on scene. Um, and once the officer was there and witnessed for herself what was going on, then she employed the veterinarian. So she was she had enough discovery walking in that barn and having a conversation with the owner to know that she needed a vet on scene. And so the vet was called out that day. And then based on his um, assessment and recommendation, which is required by Maryland law, um, in order to receive a seizure warrant, you need, the, you need a recommendation by a veterinarian. Um, and that seizure was issued by a judge and signed by a judge and executed. That's when we get the phone call. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes the, the judge, sometimes the officers call me um, and say, listen, we're, you know, working on a case, investigating a case. I've issued compliance orders. I've given X amount of time for the owner to you know, make the changes. If they're non-compliant, we will be going for a seizure. Um, that's rare, but it does happen. Oftentimes, if not the majority of the times, there is an exigent circumstance and they're calling me um, saying, we just got on scene, we have the vet, we have the warrant, how soon can your team get here? So. Wow, so I was gonna ask you what percentage was exigent, what percentage is kind of going and coming back and not seeing compliance, but it sounds like the majority are exigent. You know, I, it's hard to know because, um, you're not called in until that point of seizures season. don't seizures don't happen because of com, uh, because of compliance. Right. Oh, right. Right. So there, so yeah, that would be a really good question to have answered from some of the agencies themselves to say how many of your equine related cases actually resolve because the owner is able to be compliant. Right. That, that would be an interesting question to, to ask. Um, one would hope that if there was something people would comply, but obviously in this case, that was not what happened. This was not what happened. No, this was a situation where compliance was not even given. It was exigent. The horses, this horse alone's condition um, required immediate care. Um, and it it's the laws set up to be able to provide the facility such as DEFR the ability to take in these horses that are still custody of the owner. This is a legal seizure of your property, but in our protective care and custody, we can provide that immediate care and veterinary um, care and, and treatment necessary in an attempt to save its life. Um, and so that's where, you know, Days End physically gets involved. That's when we're um, all in. <laughs> okay, so, so, the warrant's been issued, it's now executed. They give you a phone call and yep. then you show, we show up. up. Yeah, we you show do up. You all the transportation of these horses. 
We do. Um, most counties do not have their own resources and trucks and trailers. Um, most counties um, personnel are not trained in equine handling. Um, and if you're a horse person, you know <laughs> how fun loading can be. And, you know, the, the skills that our team has to be able to execute um, removal and transport of horses that might not have been touched ever or that are so weak they can barely walk or have feet like this who she can't, I mean, she's literally slipping and sliding. Her, the bottom of those feet are like skis um, and that's a concrete floor. This poor mare could have broken her leg just getting from her stall to the, to the trailer. Um, so yes, our team is specially trained to be able to come in, um, assess the situation, um, you got a chance to meet Sarah Strauss, who is our head trainer. Um, I have to give her so much um, credit in these situations. She's my heavy. I lean on her to walk through and look and look at these horses and identify who they are and where they are and what they are. <laughs> Do we have a stallion? Do we have a pregnant mare? Do we have a mare and a foal? Do we have a senior horse? Do we have... Um, you know, three horses in one paddock together? Do we have two in another? And she makes the determination of what horses are put on the trailer when and with who um, and leads the team from that standpoint. So um, I work with the um, animal control agency that's there. I work directly with um, case information, all of those paperwork documents that need to happen, uh, speak with the vet and then Sarah and her team will go and start haltering horses, catching out horses. Oftentimes this process, we're also documenting right there on the scene along with the agencies. Uh, we're taking photographs, writing down markings, conditions, identifications, um, and making that proper paperwork trail, um, uh, chain of evidence is what it's called right there on scene because everything that we do to and for these horses ultimately ends up in the hands of the state's attorney's office and that all needs to be succinct with animal control. So there's a lot of details on the scene. Sometimes, you know, we pull in and they literally like, thank God that day's ends here. They're all yours. <laughs> <laughs> they step back and say, thank you for coming and, you know, have at it. And other times we are one of several agencies. We've had some cases get so big that, you know, Day's End is, is a, a part of, of other agencies involved um, where we're working together as an agency team. So, so okay, different. this brings up a lot of questions. Um, one is how many people do you send out typically on a call? Four to five typically. Um, even for just one horse, um, we never know what scenario we're going to enter into and what type of behavior or health issue we're going to have with that animal. So the minimum I'll go is three, but our standards four or five, the more the horses, the more resources I need. So right. multiple trucks, multiple trailers, we employ um, volunteers who are signed up and trained and a part of my emergency response team, they're approved and trained and educated in this process. I can call them and they can show up with their trucks and trailers or they can be a part of our team riding with us. But it's it's a team of volunteers and staff. Right, because if you go in as a barn of 20 horses, you're gonna need a lot of equipment. We um, do, 
and officers like, so referencing back to our equine cruelty, cruelty investigator series that we offer, we, uh, we provide on-scene, on-site, hands-on training with horses for these officers. And that's really paid off for us. We've been on scenes where we have a herd of feral horses and we are um, doing large capture techniques um, with ropes and panels and corrals and chute systems and round pens and, and, and trucks and trailers pulling up to, <laughs> to chute systems. and. And with officers going through that training and actually practicing it here with us and our staff, man, they come a part of our team and become really valuable to us. So yeah, the training really does pay off in the end. How, with a horse like this, someone's asked, how do you get it in the trailer? Very, very carefully. Um, honest to goodness. This poor mare, if you see our trailer on the right there, it was a pretty big step up from- Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah, um, it's not unknown to be able to physically pick those feet up for her. Bring her up to the trailer and lift up that foot so she can get her hoof past the bottom of the trailer um, to prevent her from hooking onto it and tripping into the trailer. Her biggest problem was she literally had no traction under those feet. Um, even in a fully thick bedded stall, this mare could not move without staying and falling. And so she required immediate vet care. Our vet um, on, a, on this examination took those feet off and started repairing and creating a foot for her to stand on from the, from the start. Like before he, she ever got in the trailer? Before, well, just as she got to the farm, that was her. Okay. Like, that was there was my no waiting for the farrier. Nope, there was no waiting for the farrier. Oh. No, but I mean, do you ever have to do something on site where you're acquiring the horse? Yes, absolutely. So Quest, whose feet were three feet long that you held in your hands, required a veterinarian and a farrier on the scene. The horse was sedated, laid down, and together the professionals removed his feet. There was no way we would have been able to transport that horse. Right. Yep. So yes, um, for wounds or exigent circumstances, sometimes the vet needs to provide emergent treatment on scene. Um, again, all that document, all that gets documented, all that gets tracked, all that gets provided uh, as chain of evidence. So this mare um, was a risky transport yeah. simply because of the con condition of her feet. Yep. And we have had horses go down on the trailer and transport, whether sure. out of weakness or right. um, this type of thing. Yes. Yep. So this is just a slide that's giving credit to the law, the criminal law that gives day's end the, the legal right to be able to care for these horses. We don't legally own them. Custody has not been transferred to us, but I can call in a vet and have the horses examined. I can vaccinate them. I can provide dental care deworming protocol, refeeding protocols, wound treatment and care. What I cannot do is in any way physically permanently alter them. If there's a wolf tooth that needs to be pulled, I can't, we cannot pull it. If a stallion, if it's a stallion and castration can't be provided, none of that can be done to permanently alter that animal um, under this law but we are permitted to go ahead and provide all the others that I described. So how often do you wind up with a stallion coming into your facility? <laughs> often, <laughs> often and oftentimes, sadly, we don't know. 
I, the phone call that comes from the officers go typically go, Hey, DF, this is so-and-so from such and such County. We're here on scene. I've got seven horses. I'm looking at vet is on the scene, have the warrant being signed now. How soon can you get here? Well, my team can deploy in 30 minutes. Um, transport time is an hour. What do you've got? Well, I have a brown horse. <laughs> I have a brown horse. And I have this like colored thing. <laughs> okay. Do you have any stallions? Well, possibly, or I don't know, or no, but typically it's, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Male, female. So Unfortunately, again, their understanding of being able to identify, making these identifications of these horses can be challenging. We all, so we had our, our new trailer retrofitted and built specially for stallions because we, we always go into uh, a seizure with some type of anticipation that there could be a, a hidden stallion somewhere. Surprise, <laughs> a little yes. surprise. A little. <laughs> Um, oh, more than one, maybe. <laughs> well, we had one case where we had five come in, wow. you know, five stallions. I'll, I'll talk about another case, um, big case at the end that had a um, hundred horses and over 40 of them were stallions. So um, it is, it is a common occurrence simply because castration can be costly and it can be something that an owner may not value and if they're not feeding the horse appropriately or caring for it as it needs to be, castration is going to be at the bottom of the list. Um, backyard breeders, people who want to breed their mare or go out and get a stallion to breed their mares, very common. You have young stock, you have young unhandled colts oftentimes. So that's, that is a common occurrence, yes. Right. So this is just another example of, of our team being there to load horses. Um, you know, sometimes, the, like I said, the officers are in there with us, haltering and leading. Other times it's, it's um, all hands on deck for day's end. Um, this is just another slide showing, we do have MOUs, which are Memorandum of Understanding with Counties. And that's just a written document that says, in the event that we work together on an equine related seizure or an impoundment, this is day's end's role, responsibilities, duties, and commitment to you. And this is the county's role, responsibilities, and duties. And it just, it establishes the, the parameters and the outline of how we're gonna work together. And, it, and, it, and some of the things that could be in an MOU will be our team will do all the transporting, all the handling, catching, leading, handling, transporting. Our team, um, we, our organization takes on all the cost of care for the rehabilitation and treatment of these horses. Um, Dayzen provides ongoing evidence, chain of evidence, and witness in court for prosecution. So those are types of things that can be defined um, in an MOU. Um, that's really helpful, especially if I were called into an area in a community we've never assisted before. There, there can be misunderstandings and miscommunications unintentionally done, and we're in it, and the next thing you know, there was a, hey, I assumed that this is going to be handled in this way. Um, and so life lessons learned through this industry is just to make sure that 
it, you know, to have things in writing and have that fully established is there. You know, what, what, I, what I keep hearing, and it, you remind me of, of Rebecca Husted, whom I've had on several yes. times, um, is that, yes, we love horses. And in order to help them, you must follow a specific process because that is how the law is going to deal with it and how they're going to deal with what happens to this livestock. Absolutely. And so as you know, it, you can, I can see where some people might want to, um, you know, be so empathetic, but you, you must, in order to do right by the horse, follow the chain of process yep. so that there isn't a mistake where you lose control of that horse and it goes back to the owner. Absolutely. Which has happened. I'm sure. Yes. And mistakes can be simply that mistakes. It was an error. It was not, it was not an egregious or a intention. intentional. Yeah. It, it was just a simple, I got the date wrong on the warrant. Legit, valid case thrown out. <laughs> I, uh, address incorrect. There, the, the property owner had two addresses when they wrote the warrant. They put one address on the warrant and it wasn't the one that we were physically on. Wow. You know, those are those are small little details that absolutely have profound impact. Um, so you're right. This process has to be viewed through that lens, um, which is primarily my duty and responsibility on behalf of Day's End to work with the officers and the agencies. And then my team um, is there for the well-being and treatment care of the horses. Right. Um, and so I cannot stress enough the team dynamic here, as well as the training and education required of them. You know, these search, these circumstances, Wendy, can be very hostile. I was going to say, you, you could possibly have the owner there in your face while you're attempting to remove most of the time they're there most yeah. of the time. Well, they, they have, they have to be present. They have to be served the warrant. Um, but every agency and situation is different, whether or not they allow the owner to remain on the property while seizure is undertake, undertaken, or um, they sequester them and remove them. But no, we've, we've been on very hostile scenes with multiple law enforcement officers um, and, you know, owners needing to be detained and forcibly removed. Uh, this is a very emotional um, stressful, very stressful. And it's, uh, you know, I think of it even, we've even had, um, plaintiffs that have just, you know, we're, we're taking their baby from that, you know, this is their horse that they've had for 20 years. That's been in their backyard that their grandkids ride on and, you know, tearful and, and emotional. So it's, it's, um, it requires a level head, a well-oiled team and a process. It does. It does. And trustworthy professional, you know, professionals to, to be able to do their job right. um, to enable us to do our job. Right. And so once the horses then arrive to day's end, these are living, breathing, physical evidence that we need to capture to the best of our ability to represent before a judge. I can't physically take these horses into court <laughs> and you know, before and after, yeah, they wouldn't look at the horse now and now look at the horse, you know, 
yeah, six months down the line. So our protocols are all written. We have a standard operation procedure that we follow to the letter. Again, due process in our own right that we follow. Um, we don't remove a burr from that mane. We don't pick a hoof. We don't do anything to that horse without getting photographs first. Um, and then an examination. But here's, a, here's some examples of um, what we provide and what we do. Um, identification again, so that will match and should match what the county identify, you know, what their documents are from the scene, but we have our own separate documents that follow that horse. Um, anything that we put out there in media fundraising or things like that, all are permitted via the county. Oftentimes that's put in an MOU, but oftentimes I can call and seek verbal permission to go ahead and promote um, for fundraising purposes and, and sharing this. Um, sometimes the county themselves um, do a press release and we'll have agents agencies here trying to follow the story. And other times the press are the ones that, act, that actually were the reason that the cases ended up in seizure. We had one case where um, someone leaked to the press a nasty situation and they flew over with their helicopter and were filming on the nightly news, the situation going on down below. So um, press is oftentimes involved with these, especially the more bigger egregious cases. Um, we do a full exam for our veterinarian oftentimes Moments after they're removed, taken off the trailer, the vet meets us on the farm um, and starts their examination. We dictate all of their findings. It goes into a letter of discovery signed and documented by the vet, which is oftentimes the first piece of evidence that we give to the county and the state's attorney. They can help that. That coincides with the investigation documentation, can oftentimes set the course for for prosecution and how to determine charges. Um, that's also the document that our veterinarians will be subpoenaed into trial to testify to. So that's a very important, valuable piece of, of information and documentation. Every horse is put on its own specific rehabilitation plan from refeeding to vaccinations, to deworming, to trimmings, to dentals, you name it. That is all road mapped out. Um, and started from day one. And that's our refeeding protocol. Um, every temperatures or full vitals are taken three to four times a day, all documented. The amount of water drank, manure output, um, presentation of the horse. Is he dull, lethargic? Is he, um, you know, anxious, um, pacing, pawing, um, dull, quiet, um, or normal? Um, bright, bright, alert, responsive, BAR. So all those things documented, that staff involvement, volunteer involvement, intern involvement, everybody, all hands on deck. <laughs> well, and, you know, unlike, okay, there's a stabbing, so now we have the evidence, we have the knife, and we're going to put that in a bag and tag it and see on <laughs> to trial, right? <laughs> Here we've got something that breathes, eats, poops, and, um, and, and is a horse. And so you can't, you can't ethically leave it in the condition in which it was found to wait for the trial. You've correct. Right. And that's correct. It's like, if, if you did not do all this incredibly thorough documentation, you get to the court six months later, this thing is shiny and fat and happy and healthy. And they're like, there is nothing wrong with this horse. You got to send it back. 
Correct. Correct. And here's the other, <laughs> uh, the bloody knife. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Um, the, the other really important thing that we want to be able to show, Wendy, is that the care and treatment that went into these horses were pretty, were standard. Um, these horses did not go to Leesburg Marion DuPont Medical Center um, to be critically cared for in their facility and receive IV fluids and, you know, all of the bells and whistles of modern medicine. We fed them, we gave them water and we started them on forage, which is hay, at a very slow refeeding rate. We monitored their response to that and then gradually increased cal caloric intake and volume of feed over a very particular specific amount of time and made adjustments as needed. But ultimately these horses got better because we gave them hay, we gave them water, we dewormed them, we gave them dental floats, trimmed their feet and provided a, a calorie source in grain. So you basically just met the minimum requirement as outlined in the document that you showed us previously with all the little tiny type. Um, which is Correct. the minimal level of care required Basic. to not seize. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Quality feed and sufficient quantity. Yes. Right. And in order to say it only took the basics to bring this horse back to health, even though we had to do it slowly, um, but it was minimal care that was required. Absolutely. Correct. Which can be different for every animal, but a standard protocol. Right specifically for refeeding. And here's some really cool examples. Um, this is just, I'm sorry, just a further definition of what that meant for the uh, veterinary examination. Um, this is the top, this is an example of the photos that we provide to show the horses at entrance and, ex and, and as they're here um, without any change or modification externally, and then the follow-up and the follow-up uh, photographs can be either once they're through rehabilitation, done over healthy, physically body condition scores of five or above. Um, they've had all of that care provided to them. They're fully vaccinated, fully dewormed, all that care has been provided. And now they're just maintaining and sustaining. Or we go to trial the horse is not necessarily through rehabilitation and up to ideal weight, but here's what it looks like today at trial right. and the changes there. And we're standard in our angles that we take and the photo, the types of photos that we take. We do not edit them. We do not create any kind of special illusions to them. Um, this can be a very challenging part of my job. Honestly, it's tough when you have pouring down rain and you need to get a picture of this emaciated horse or the sun is so bright, you can't see the gray horse for the forest. But um, anything that we can show a picture, an example of to the court is documented in a photograph. So this is an example of a before and an after. Wow. Yes. Before, same horse, after. 
So these are actual dot photographs that I submitted to the state's attorney for this horse. And he was a 17-ish quarter horse gelding out of West Virginia. If you know quarter horses, they rehab on error. <laughs> um, he went chunk monk fast. Um, he was impounded mid-April. These pictures were taken in July and we were cutting calories because the boy was too far in the other direction. <laughs> no extenuating circumstances. There were no other circumstance. There were no diseases, no illnesses, no infections. There was no uh, lamenesses or pain associated with this horse that would have him in this condition. Wow. And so feeding him was all that was necessary. Now he, he was covered with lice and mm -hmm had um, a heavy parasite load, but again, basic care. He looks like such a sweet guy too. He was a, he's such a good, yeah, he's a well-loved pet. Um, we believe that um, he was very sweet, very kind. His name is Murphy. Um, he came from West Virginia in 2018 with a, with a large number of horses and, um, he was a ranch horse. He's branded. Um, yeah. He was definitely a broke to ride, educated, trained horse who um, physically, once we got him under saddle, Wendy just wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Um, his body wasn't comfortable carrying a rider anymore. So we did retire him to a companion and he was snatched up. Um, other just examples of what goes into our documentation and chain of evidence. Um, I've already alluded to them, but what I haven't, cost of care is involved with that. I track um, all of the out-of-pocket veterinary costs that we incur, um, cost, the cost of daily care and critical care rates um, really come out to be what is typical for a Maryland boarding facility. The cost of care can also include x-rays and lab work and blood work and things like that, that we have done to those horses while they're in our care. Those before and after pictures that I just showed you. Um, oftentimes, if, if a horse d dies in our care or dies in rehabilitation, um, counties will request necropsies be performed. So we will do that on behalf of the case um, and support them in that way. Um, those are all provided as well. Is this the same horse, the x-ray? There is a shoe on that foot. I believe the nails were still there. The shoe was gone, but the okay. nails Okay, that's what gone. I can't tell it from this picture, but wow. And then is the foot on the left, has it already had some cut off? It looks like... No, that was the wear of her dragging it. Oh. So yes, yeah, so she would... Honest to goodness, this mare broke over her. She would break over and then drag, or it would, as she would move around her stall, it would hit up against the, the stall sides and stuff. So yeah, this was the same mare that we that I showed a picture of being loaded on the trailer. Right. Her x-rays, unfortunately, look up from there when yeah. you see she had significant severe ring bone. Yeah. High ring bone that was used um and it was our vet's assessment that it would actually be 
um, a form of torture to, to remove, you know, to trim her feet and make any kind of angle changes to her that she was beyond our help at that point. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Um, for your listeners to be able to understand process here, um, invest, you know, um, responding to the call of concern, investigation, documentation, veterinary involvement, uh, case preparation, seizure, it's all on the plate of the animal control or humane agency and their officers. Once their reporting and their case as they have it is complete, then that goes to the state's attorney's office. Once it's, once it's with the state's attorney, it is, it is then determined by the state's attorney, not the officers themselves, what charges should and will be pressed. Sometimes county state's attorney's offices and, and agents, uh, animal control, humane agencies can have a good dialogue and a communication and a relationship where they're working together on it. I've been involved with some cases where once that officer turns that documentation over, it is completely out of their hands and they're not even consulted with or have communication unless it's time to go to court and they're on the stand as a witness. So it, it always varies, um, but it's it may be a, a misunderstanding in the part of the public to know ultimately who's charging um, and prosecuting the owners of these horses, and that's the state's attorney's office. Um, most of related um, charges are misdemeanor, failure to provide proper food and water, failure to provide veterinary care, failure to provide proper space. That's mostly misdemeanor. Felony charges are more of your aggravated cruelty, um, your criminal level that requires the agency and the state's attorney to provide um, evidence that support intention, that, that that person intended to create that kind of harm or that the, the severity of the neglect or cruelty issued on the animal was so egregious that the horse was in significant pain and suffering, therefore that's felony level charges. So again, little Quest, who had the three foot long feet that you held, they went for felony charges with an understanding that that horse was going through significant long periods of suffering, having three feet long foot that weighed 30 pounds locked in a stall. So those decisions, knowing the law for the state's attorney to, to know the law to know the species, to know the animal, to know the material and the evidence that they're provided is huge. Right. Um, and a whole nother lane for education, training and outreach and getting them more familiar with this type of situation and these types of um, material to be able to interpret what it is they're even reading and how that applies to the law and where and how could they win in court? I don't know if I'm making sense with all yeah. of that. Yes, you are. Uh, the thing that the question, and maybe you're going to answer this a little later, the question I keep having, having is, okay, so if it's a misdemeanor and the person pays a fine, do they get their horse back? <laughs> Let's talk about outcomes. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, because that's yeah. what your brain's going is how how then do you prevent this horse who is now looking like this lovely gray Arab from going back to that situation if it's only a misdemeanor? It's like correct. So this mare was a part of the same case that we were just saw the the foot picture. So I, I'm chronicle. This was another horse, a part of that locked in a stall for all those years, seen by the by the um, utility worker. And you're right. So what does happen? Um, possible outcomes. Um, so Wendy, it's the burden of the state's attorney to prove guilt. Um, it's been my experience that most of the time these cases settle in some kind of plea agreement. If the, if, if the presentation of the evidence is really well done um, accurately as well as detailed, um, oftentimes that's enough for a plaintiff and their attorney to agree to a plea and not go to trial. Um, and I would say that that probably happens 90% of the time in our cases. So in other words, they make a plea deal so they don't go to trial or jail. And then I would guess that part of that plea deal is that they re release the horses. To Correct. Yeah. Well, no, yes, yes, yes. So to you, you get custody. Yeah, the, the custody goes to the county, the county gives it to us, but here's, here's my normal spiel. <laughs> um, the ultimate, so we already talked about the purpose and, and intent of the officer at that first conversation with the owner is to see if there's changes that can be made on behalf of the animal in its home. So similar, state's attorneys understand it's costly to go to trial. It's, it's an expense and a cost. Um, if the plaintiff has no criminal history, no background that they've found guilty of either a similar crime or have a long you know, history of criminal activity, the likelihood of jail time for an owner found guilty of misdemeanor failure to provide you know, violations is very, very low. And ultimately what's provided in the law is guide to say, this is the violation. Um, if found guilty, this as a misdemeanor, it comes with standard um, uh, outcome. Right. Fine, thousand dollar per, per case, you know, per um, misdemeanor, thousand dollar fine, 30 days in jail um, and onwards. So those are just automatics. So those guide the, the attorneys in negotiating terms where the plea agreement gives them oftentimes very similar outcomes to what would be found at trial. So if a judge found them guilty, it's very similar to what a plea agreement can look like. Probation, okay. forfeiture of animals, um, reinspection of your property by the, by the officers or the county, um, restitution can be a part of a plea agreement or guilty verdict, um, and inability to own an animal or have that species, again, in your care, 
but there's always a term. It's three to five years. And oftentimes if the attorneys can come together and mutually agree to that without a trial, that is, that's a win right. outcome. And to help your listeners understand too that that agreement that those attorneys can come to ultimately has to be approved of by the judge. So there is a hearing that's had and whether it's a a full on trial or the attorneys are coming to the judge with the evidence, with their recommended plea agreement and ultimately he signs it, you know, accepts it, declines it, alters it, changes it or, you know, whatever. So, um, I know that the court of public opinion can be very harsh when we see these shocking images and we see the suffering um, lived and experienced by these animals that we really, as human beings, want to feel like justice is being served for them. And it's, it's always the hardest question that comes to me, which is, why, why no jail? Why, why were the owners let off or not duly punished um, for, you know, the, the suffering that, that they in, inflicted on their animals? And ultimately, when you look at it again, Wendy, through that legal lens and due process, by law, they were held accountable. Well, and I, you know, I think, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but you know, when you're watching TV and you see these co- commercials come on with these dogs suffering and the sad music and the voice that's so, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I, I'm sorry, but it's, they're preying on our emotions to, for us to give money. But when you see that commercial over and over and over again, you know, when you hear of an, any kind of abuse, your first thing you go to is the starving dog in the, you know, with the chain. And so there, there is an emotional component that is utilized. Absolutely. Right. And so when we see horses that have been abused, we're horse lovers. It triggers that same emotion, but we also have to think about the, as you say, justice is served and the fact that they can't have horses, they can't have animals again, you know, there's, I'm not trying to justify what anyone has done to abuse an animal. And at the same time, people don't just go out intentionally to starve their horses and leave them in a stall like that. Circumstances happen, things happen that um, to just, if we just put everybody in jail, A, now we'd be paying for, for all, you Correct. know, who's Correct. suffering there and is that really justice? So yes. I totally hear what you're saying. and. You know, what we're, what I don't hear here, and I think what we're always missing is the rehabilitative, rehabilitative piece that, mm. you know, if these people were required to come and volunteer at your facility for six months in order to see all these others and how to care for a horse and educate them on how to care for, maybe it would never happen again, right? Correct. And that is the ultimate goal and outcome worth seeking is stop the cycle. Right prevent this from happening again. Absolutely. Whether that's through a plea agreement or guilty verdict and probation or yeah, education outreach. And we have actually had cases resolved where the judge has ordered the owner to go to classes, to go and learn 
knowing that probation will be up in five years, you can get horses again. So what, you know, what do you need? Or even psychiatric evaluation. That's a, absolutely. I mean, that's seeing happen a lot in sentencing, um, a lot more than, than 10, 20 years ago, Wendy is, is a trend that you're seeing mental illness and, 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 um, weakness in that area are very big, you know, factor involved in these cases. So you're absolutely right. Um, it is very rare that horses go back to owners. Um, we have had some cases end with some horses going back due to what was worked out in an, in an agreement and in a plea, um, with, parameters around, you know, the care of those animals and the ongoing um, monitoring and evaluation and assessment of them. Um, I could say in my tenure with Day's End, um, there was a point in time when we would say like it very rarely ever happened. Um, But even in the last 10 years, um, we have had several results in horses returned. Um, So it's, it's, never a done deal and always interesting to learn the whys behind that. Um, And ultimately you have a judge that's making these decisions on behalf of what he feel is is correct and right. So you never say never around here. (laughs) Right, do you have recidivism? Yes, I can't say that word by the way. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you, I can't. Yeah, no, I had to really think about it, okay? You do. You can't just, that just doesn't roll. Well, it, no, it does not away. roll. But what it means is repeat offenders. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, to my understanding, to my experience for the equines, not that I'm aware of, um, but the dogs and cats, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's a case up here I'm coming to that I'll show you that will... Um, uh, allude to that, but this is my horse river that you met. This was, so this was him. This is, um, him at intake. Um, he was Howard County, Maryland. Uh, he, and there were five horses total. He and four other horses were, um, bought and ridden by a very wealthy man and his son, not, but a couple miles from our farm here. River was a seven-year-old um, Appaloosa gelding, body condition score one, which is the lowest score on that chart you can be. And they were trail riding him in that condition. The local neighbor saw him coming off the trail, being ridden, called animal control, uh, uh, fearful for his well-being. Animal control responded, saw the same thing, saw them riding River in this condition. Um, the owner, the adult, the father tried to blame the son, his minor son for the care and condition of the horses. Ultimately, the county impounded them. They came to day's end, rehabilitated. And the rest of this, you know, that was my life changing um, forever. But this is, these are the officers. They come back to us every year. So this is River actually participating in one of their classes. <laughs> so I owe my very happiness um, and heart horse and lifetime horse to them um, and their commitment to that due process and um, to their education and their learning and their um, willingness um, to intervene. 
Um, and ultimately they won the case. Um, it was a successful outcome at trial and the owner was held accountable. So kudos to them. I still get to see them when they come back to the farm for training. Um, but that's just my own personal story and experience with this process and, and the people involved um, and committed to it. So um, this is honestly, Wendy, where I can go, I was just gonna go into a little more storytelling on some cases, but you know, I finished my formal, <laughs> Yeah, and we're at an hour and a half. So I think we might save some of that. So, yeah. you know, it'd be really fun to have you back and talk about some of your success stories. Absolutely. So I think that that's what we'll do is we'll have you come back and we'll save those stories because I, it's really important to, for people to know you guys do incredible work and you have lots of success stories and that, you know, this is, again, it goes back to that commercial with the dog whimpering behind the, that we only see the, that side and they don't show us the success, but I think that the story for day's end is, is the success is what you're doing to educate, to bring more people into understanding, to help these horses. And like your story with river, you know, I mean, yes. it's, it's, um, you know, well, the, it's there's a black so beauty much, story, right. isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. black beauty. <laughs> <laughs> no, the human side. Yeah, we haven't even, we've, we've talked about the professionals today. We've talked about the, the key ingredients to equine intervention for horses um, needing it um, due to cruelty and neglect and who those players are and their duties, roles and responsibilities. But you know, we at DEFER are about that horse-human connection and, and we didn't even touch on that. So the success stories is not even just bringing these horses back into a healthy state, but the humans that are here healing right alongside with them. Um, yeah. All right. So that's what we'll do. We'll have you come okay. back and we'll talk about those stories because I think they need to be told. Very good. Yep. So just go ahead and unshare. Oh, perfect. All right. I mean, this I find this, it's it's really good to understand the process. And, you know, that's one of, I so appreciate your ability to walk us through this because, you know, when you, when you see that horse, I, I know that there's one story where somebody finally put up a sign, my horse is sleeping because everybody called on it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, if you see something, say something, is that the bottom line? Yeah. Um, that there is a process in place and that there there is training for these people. And so, you know, it's okay. Don't worry. There's a process and it's a logical process. And the best thing you can do is make that phone call because Absolutely. you don't know and it's okay. And they're okay getting that phone call. I think that's really Absolutely. Come story. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Well, Diet, it's such a pleasure to have you back. And, and I've really enjoyed listening to this because it's really helped me understand the process. Good. Um, yeah, because, you know, I'm, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to you coming back and telling us those success stories. No, yeah, I got it already prepared. Love to. And I can't wait to see you again, Wendy. I All hope, right. I hope we'll I get we'll to have that. to make that happen. Okay. Very Thank good. you so much for joining me. Thank, you. Thank you, everybody. And on Thursday, we're going to have Sarah. 
I forgot Sarah's last name. It's okay. But she's going to talk about fitting boots. And I sure wish I had that webinar about a month ago because I had to fit boots for my horse and I'm not sure I got the right time. <laughs> so join us on Thursday. And in the meantime, have a wonderful day. Thanks a lot and take care. Bye.